Hold on to your butts. Hello and welcome to episode three of the Reviewed Movie Podcast. I am Ivan Kander and I am joined with Mike Mirandi and Dave Glantz. Say hello, gentlemen. Hello, hello gentlemen. gentlemen. Oh, that's going to become a thing now, isn't it? <laughs> we have to work on that one. And this is the podcast where we talk about classic movies in a modern cinematic context and uh, basically see if they hold up when we review them. So that's the shtick for what we're going to do today. And uh, we last week, we uh, t- well, sorry, last podcast, we talked about... Um, the Sam Mendes movie. Road um, to Perdition. Road to Perdition. I don't know why I couldn't think of the title. Jeez. <laughs> and um, this week we're talking about Miller's Crossing, which we brought up last podcast as an interesting companion piece to this one because it's, you know, similar time period. It's about gangsters. It's a, you know, so similar aesthetic, I guess you could say, um, in a certain way. And it's also uh, kind of ties into the Coen brothers who just came out with uh, Inside Llewellyn Davis. Which is in theaters now. Lewin Davis. Davis. I do the same thing. Is it Lewin? Llewellyn is the guy in No Country for Old Men. Lewin is the guy. Oh, F them. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, but that's just obnoxious. I've been saying that wrong for a long time. So am I. That's okay. All right. So um, based on the tie-in for that and just uh, talking about good gangster movies and Coen Brothers movies in general, I thought we'd do it as a branching off point. So starting off, what we're going to do is uh, I want to ask you guys what your familiarity is with the Coen Brothers and uh, what are your thoughts, uh, your familiarity with this film and what are your uh, thoughts on it. So, Mike, why don't we start with you? What did you think of Miller's Crossing and are you a Coen Brothers fan? I am a Fairweather Coen Brothers fan. I, I've seen some of their stuff. Uh, That's a no. Fargo. Yeah, I saw Fargo. I didn't really like Fargo. Um, I mean, a couple... Oh, yeah, yeah right. Yeah, I got it. Um, I think they have a really dark sense of humor, which sometimes I'm not always on board with. But um, overall, I, uh, what's it called? Uh, Barton Fink, I really enjoyed. Um, I like this. I like this. I feel like it didn't, for me, it didn't feel like what I've come to know them um, for. Like the, yeah, it was a lot more of, a, I think, a straight-laced film, like a not no tongue-in-cheek stuff. This was your first much. time seeing it? Yeah, yeah, first time seeing it. Um, of course. Of course. And uh, yeah, I... I, I, I first popped it in and started watching it, I'm like, oh boy, I don't know if I'm going to be able to keep up with it. I'm going to enjoy it. I mean, it's a lot of fast-paced dialogue, but um, end of the day, I really, it, it was enjoyable for me. We'll get into the details more, I guess, later, but um, not overly familiar with the Coen brothers, um, but I like this in, as a part of their canon. So, And uh, Dave, what about you? I'm guessing you're a big Coen brothers fan, right? I am a big Coen brothers fan, and I was thinking about this movie, and I think this is the first Coen brothers movie that I that I saw, and and uh, I'm trying to because I was trying to place when I saw it, and uh, who and who I saw it with, and um, I'm remembering seeing it on video with my old friend Matt Lohr, who is uh, is now uh, an author, published author. He just Why don't we stop name with... dropping on the podcast? <laughs> you can follow nice. him at, uh, at The Movie Zombie. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to give him credit because he's kind of the person who introduced me to the Coen brothers and to this movie. Um, and uh, I think it was shortly after I had seen Goodfellas and a lot of other gangster movies in the early 90s, and this was probably 91, 92 when I saw it. Um, and uh, I think it was the first Coen Brothers movie. I didn't see Raising Arizona until after this one and Blood Simple until after this one. So this was my initial impression of the Coen Brothers. Um, and I remember really liking it back then and then revisiting it over and over, uh, over the past 20 years. I've, I always find something new with it. I'm like, this really holds up. And, and I, you know, I, I feel like Miller's Crossing is where the Coen Brothers really became the Coen Brothers, um, at least for that, that period of time. I feel like there's, there's, pre-No Country for Old Men Coen Brothers and there's post-No Country for Old Men Coen Brothers where a lot of the stuff now feels um, 
more more mature, maybe a little. I mean, I'm not, they're just as great as they've always been, in my opinion. But Miller's Crossing was, um, for me, the perfect mix of kind of um, uh, a, a kind of sad, not satirized, maybe satirizing genre a little bit um, while embracing it. Um, they they had their directing and editorial chops down to uh, a science. I feel like this movie is just a. Uh, I, could, I, I can't think of a scene or a line that I, I would remove from this movie. So uh, to back up, yeah, I love this movie. <laughs> I think this is a great movie. This, probably, this may be my favorite Coen Brothers movie. Um, so I'm curious to, to think what you have to say about it. Um, I don't know if we've talked about uh, the history of the movie, so we should say that it's a 1990 movie, right, directed by the Coen Brothers, it's starring Gabriel. their third film, right? Their third film, Blood Simple, Raising Arizona, and this was their third film in 1990. And I think it was probably overshadowed by Goodfellas, which came out the same year, mm-hmm. uh, as far as gangster movies, and The Godfather uh, Part Three, which came out that year. So it was just another gangster movie. But I feel like looking back, uh, this is definitely better than Godfather Three. <laughs> um, but it kind of gets lumped together with a lot of other uh, '30s prohibition era gangster movies that came out. Mm-hmm. I think in the past 20, 30 years. Yeah. Um, so it was the Coen Brothers' third movie. It was Gabriel Byrne's first big starring role. Um, where did, where did Barton Fink fall? And Barton, that's, that's, that's well, an that's, interesting. That's side the note. interesting trivia. They yeah. had such bad writer's block when they right. were writing so they this went. film. They took a three-week break, wrote Barton Fink, mm-hmm. finished this movie, made this movie, and then subsequently oh, they made, made Barton okay, Fink. They wrote Barton Fink. That's what I'm thinking. So I mean, that's just okay. how baller is that? That they yeah. were like, we can't figure out this script, so we're going to write another amazing script, and then they'll no, go finish this amazing script. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and they won the Palme d'Or for Barton Fink, but this one probably didn't. Win anything and probably has gained in stature, I think, over the over the past couple decades. Um, but uh, you know, mostly due, to, uh, I would say, partially due to the fact that Gabriel Burns become more of a name. Uh, Marsha Gay Harden's in it, um, yeah, and, uh, Finney, and she obviously ended up winning an Oscar. Albert Finney was already in, like he was probably the most established star in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, Steve Buscemi was huge then. Right, well, kidding, yeah, kidding. yeah. Well, he was he had this, he would have cameos. I think he had yeah. a cameo in um, in, in uh, Barton Fink too. So, mm-hmm. yeah, um, yeah. so. Yes, my I, I'm a so big you fan liked of this it. movie. I like this movie. Okay, um, what do you think of it? What do I think? Um, so I first saw uh, Miller's Crossing in college when I was trying to catch up on movies that are you know I was supposed to watch as someone who's you know supposedly wants to critique and watch and enjoy movies and that kind of thing, and I didn't get it at all. I, I found it slow and a little slow and ponderous. Uh, in revisiting it now, I think this movie's a masterpiece. I think it's one of the best movies ever made. I put it into the top like <laughs> awesome. ten movies of all time. I think wow. that I think that they should show this movie to filmmakers and how to make a movie. Like everything about this movie, it is the best constructed movie I think ever. I think this movie. Oh, whoa! Wow! Back it down. Is that no, hyperbole? Or? No, and, I'll, and what you were going on saying, I don't think you said earlier that you don't think a single line. You don't. Think, think a single scene is wasted and that's what I'm talking about meaning mm-hmm. it's just constructed so well in that everything is needed mm-hmm. and there is no superfluous moments of course, feeling to me uh, I'm really glad I reviewed this because I didn't have this high of an opinion until I watched this but I was transfixed when I actually watched this again um, they've like made up their own language in the movie yeah. and the way it works and that's fascinating to me and it just kind of builds and builds and I wish I had a more eloquent way of explaining why I think this is a masterpiece and maybe we'll we'll sum that up as we start talking about it I just I feel like it's just so damn well constructed um, and the, the moments that are supposed to be emotional are emotional and the moments that are supposed to be um, full of intrigue are and it, as a character piece it works because all the characters are incredibly nuanced and uh, 
as a plot from a plot perspective, I think it's pretty interesting because it's about these warring gang factions in basically an unknown city because they never really specify where this is supposed to be taking place. Right? Shot in New Orleans, but they don't ever tell you where. It no, is. It's just, it's, yeah. I think it's just like it's the idea of a city in the 1920s. Yeah. It's like yeah. that's what it is. It feels like upstate New York to me. That's what it feels like. It, and the way I would like I. I would, you know, kind of phrase it. It's almost like they were they took the noir genre and they're like, "This is how you do it, ladies and gentlemen. We're done now." Like, Drop the mic and <laughs> yeah. walk out. Yeah. Like we don't need to do this again. Um, we've, you know, we. And I don't we, think they did. I don't think they've done anything quite like it. And so. uh, and it's just it's really impressive to me. And maybe we'll suss out why that is as we keep on talking. Uh, but I just want to go into this idea of language, like. Like I don't know if you got this feeling, but from the opening scene, it's it's very quick dialogue, as Mike said. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But they're using they're using phrases and turns, and the way they use it, every line is infused with a sense of irony or a, a, a duplicitous meaning. My favorite uh, phrase is uh, "You give me the hi hat." Yeah, the hi hat. I don't know if they invented that or that was something I before. Think they him, did. But, yeah. I didn't but even I know it was it, a yeah. phrase until the movie. But I love how I mean, there's a oh, there's an overarching metaphor, a leitmotif of hats throughout the whole movie. Yes, like the whole movie is all yeah. about hats, but. Like the opening line is um, Casper, who's this Italian gang um, gang mm-hmm. mob. He's one of the rival faction played by John Polito, I yes, think. Yes, um, he says, "If you can't trust a fix, what can you trust?" Which is a right. it's, it's, it's such a brilliant line of dialogue mm-hmm. because he's essentially saying, "If you can't tell, if you can't trust for something to be a fraud, like then what, well, what yeah, can what you can trust you into?" Trust? <laughs> yeah. Which is, I think, I think that's just a brilliant like the way that they play with words throughout the movie just really got to me. And then certain scenes, I think. Are, again, just amazingly shot. Which uh, the the walk through Miller's Crossing, where you think that John Tutera's character Bernie might be getting killed mm-hmm. by Gabriel Byrne's character Tom. Mm-hmm. That's an amazing sequence. Yeah. The Danny Boy um, a shoot 'em up sequence with yeah. Albert Finney is yes. an amazing oh, yeah, sequence. Like, it's, it's, awesome. like, it's like the showcase scene. And I movie, can't probably. think of a movie He's that an artist with a Thompson. Yeah. yeah, I can't think of a movie that balances artistry with dark humor, with language, with genuinely just entertainment as this movie so I, See, I this, this is movie is like chocolate cake to me it's like you get it's endlessly rewatchable and uh, but it doesn't you know it's like healthy chocolate cake I would say right right right, right. <laughs> say, dark chocolate cake we're gonna die from the chocolate cake poisoning so well, I, 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 this is good because I, I saw it I don't think I saw the depth that you guys saw I enjoyed it for like what it was I think it was a great plot it had a lot of great twists and turns and intrigue but I didn't feel a lot of depth to it but I'm starting to feel maybe okay there might be something here that well, I didn't well I would quite. argue I mean you just saw Fargo for the first time, right? Yeah. When I yeah. first saw Fargo, I did not like it either. But yeah, in subsequent, yeah. like every Coen Brothers movie, yeah. I've appreciated more. The only one I can say that that didn't happen with was um, No Country for Old Men. I think I got the most out of that movie the first time I saw it. Mm-hmm. And then in subsequent, like, but Fargo, I've learned to appreciate because of other nuances when you go back and revisit it. Right. And the same thing with uh, Lewin Davis. I saw in theaters, and I was like, um, I don't know. And my friend started saying, like, okay, he saw it for the second time. And he mm-hmm. started going on to, you know, and then it made it a lot more like, all right, all right, I see what they're yeah. going for here. Yeah, Miller's Crossing, I never had that problem with. And I mean, I, I remember it, it's gained in stature over the years <laughs> for me. But uh, but when I saw it, I remember thinking, wow, this is so many cool things. But I think I was just transfixed by all the uh, kind of the cool uh, shots. And I think a lot of that's due to yeah. the cinematographer, Barry Sonnenfeld, we, who became a director. Oh, yeah. You know, I, it's funny. I, I noticed that in the credits. I'm like, oh, he, yeah. this is a... Right. He was a cinematographer for Raising Arizona and for this one. And then a few other movies like Misery and some other movies in the late 80s, early 90s before he became a director. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of uh, familiar, you know, rapid zoom, rapid dolly in and shots. And um, uh, I think the Coen brothers and Barry Sonfield probably shared a lot of the same sensibilities. So they were probably a good match. 
Um, it's, it's, it's interesting comparing this to a movie like Road to Perdition, which is also amazingly shot. Like, that movie looks right. amazing. This movie looks amazing in a different way. I feel like yep. this movie looks theatrical almost, mm-hmm. where things look like they're... They look like they're on sets to me, and I don't mean that in a bad way. It just looks like they've constructed like the perfect noir, and they put like they created this world, and they just put characters in them, like a playhouse, or like something. a playhouse almost. Yeah. And I, I don't feel like it has like a realist. It's maybe that's not the right word because it is realistic in the way it depicts violence, and it. Mm. I, um, I mean, it's not like it's cartoonish. That's something by they've anything. always done though. Is they've always they've always had kind of a kind of almost a slapstick sensibility even to their dramatic movies but then like very realistic violence which is like a like in one scene Casper will there will be a hilarious scene where Casper is chastising his chubby son and then you know it'll be backed up against brutal violence and I I don't think any other filmmakers can do this like if I tried to do this it'd be awful like awful but the Coen brothers have just like they figured it out and it pisses me (laughs) off they figured it out when it took them 10 years you know they they started the industry in the early 80s yeah but they were like what 40 when they made this movie 1990 I don't know like they were still really early in their like filmmaking career I'm like damn you you already you already did it (laughs) you're done Um, I'm curious you see you think this holds up in terms of the uh, Coen Brothers canon, this is up there for you? Or oh, yeah. This, well, I, I, this is probably, um, you know, like I said, I, the reason I kind of split their time periods between after No Country and before No Country is that when, this is, has their slapstick uh, sensibility with that, you know, kind of brutal violence and very satirical. I feel like most of the movies they've, most of the movies they've made since No Country uh, feel less slapsticky, less satirical, and it's probably just I'm... I'm Guessing it's just them maturing, you know, uh, yeah. being interested in different things. Um, you know, the way that Spielberg maybe had like before Schindler's List and after Schindler's List, is, is, is the tone of his films kind of changed. Um, uh, but we should talk about, I think, um, you know, maybe the story of this movie a little bit. Yeah, that probably go help. too far. According to Wikipedia, the movie <laughs> concerns a power struggle between two rival gangs and how the protagonist Tom Reagan plays both sides off each other, which is, I guess, kind right. of the cut and dry way of. Right. establishing it. And it probably um, mentions there that it was loosely... Ba- it, it, there's a lot of, uh, of Dashiell Hammett who... Uh, Dash- is, am I pronouncing that, that right? Dashiell, no idea. That Dashiell Hammett who is a famous uh, hard-boiled detective fiction writer in, okay. in, in the 20s and 30s and he's responsible for I think the Maltese Fal- Falcon. Correct me if I'm wrong. I have to look um, it up, Dave. Sam Spade. What do you Sam Spade. Um, but there's one movie in particular... Uh, there's two movies in particular that this movie was... It was The Glass Key and Red Harvest. The Glass Key was another movie where... Uh, the story was very similar um, to this one, where it's about a right-hand man and the, and, and, uh, the guy he works for in their relationship, mostly about the right-hand man. And I, you know, we can say that that's basically what this movie is about. Gabriel Byrne plays Tom Regan, who's uh, he's like a classic, sensitive, over, uh, in over his head kind of tough guy. Who works but he for isn't a, a tough boss. guy because he always getting, he's always getting beat he up. He does not right. know how to fight. He does not know how to fight. Like, he, that's he, very. He like, comes across as is he's, he's still kind of a tough guy. I mean, he, you know, I, he's, he's great. He's a, he's a wordsmith. He's, he's he can fight good. you with his words. And I think and his strategy too. I think he's not, he's not a brawler. He's right. a thinker. You right. Know? Which uh, is very interesting to make your protagonist. Like he's not the Indiana Jones guy that can go and fight that, people. That, like he'll be in a scene and he'll lose. Like right. he's not going to win. And I think that's very interesting to make that the, the hero of the movie. Yeah, I'm so used to it. Yeah, the hero is going to be the protagonist. Is the guy who can go out swinging, knock people out with his fists. And even the scene where uh, you got um, Bernie walking out of his apartment, and he like mm-hmm. jumps out the window, runs. Right. And you're thinking, like, here we right. go. Bad and he ass. trips over the floor, <laughs> drops his gun, looks like an idiot. Yeah, yeah, not so badass. Yeah, and, but he probably fits in with a lot of other Coen Brothers uh, heroes, though. I mean, if you think about No Country for Old Men and where that ends up, you know, he uh, their protagonists don't always have the 
you know they don't always end up in the best circumstances so uh, even Lewin Davis I mean it's kind of about yeah. if you you know I don't want to spoil anything but uh, if you know I mean, you you kind of know the story it's a, it's a guy who has kind of a, a lot of bad luck, luck you yeah. know like a lot of the Coen brothers have their protagonists are people with bad luck no Fargo I and mean, William H Macy I mean that's a guy mm-hmm. with nothing but bad luck you know it makes his own bad luck but, <laughs> but uh it, you know at least with this one i feel like um you know gabriel burns character tom reagan he ends up with uh you know i guess is a good question to ask you guys is do you think he the story is he is working for albert finney he is having an affair with albert finney's mistress basically things go wrong between them and he ends up working for the Opposite rival side. the rival gang right mm-hmm. and uh at the end and we're assuming anybody listening to this has seen the movie and, and knows the end uh at the end it, 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 what it looks like is that he's created this elaborate con or ruse to get you know his the rival gangster to to kind of out of i don't know Cause a disaster that that uh, between the two, between, uh, I guess he was kind of protecting his his real boss, Albert Finney. That's mm-hmm. what it seemed like to me. Is that everything was an elaborate uh, ruse to, to get the other guy to try to attack Albert Finney, and then Albert Finney right. um, uh, ends up, you know, um, shunning him and kicking him out and and uh, beating the crap out of him. So uh, my question is: is was this an elaborate con, or did he just kind of? go with the flow and this is just how things ended up my thought on on the topic because I was looking at this and trying to figure out what is his motivation I I think to me it was very clear that I think uh, Marsha Gay Harden's character Verna I think was his motivation I think everything he did was to to get her and I I think there's even that scene where well we'll come back to that but I think that that is his motivation and I think at the very end what's, what's brilliant about the movie I think is that he is a he's a genius right a manipulative genius he gets the situation to almost what he wants and yet he loses her anyway Mm-hmm. You know, and I think I, honestly, I think that the, the almost—I don't want to say the message of everything, but one of the one of the, the messages I think, or the, the things I saw, is that if he had just told her how he felt about her, I think things would have been much better. He had to go all the way around and manipulate things, mm-hmm. and uh, that one of the lines that he says about the hat, where she says like, "Oh, you found your." He talks about he sees a hat, has a dream about a hat, chasing one's hat, chasing a hat. The idea right. that there's nothing more foolish than watching a man right. chase after his, his own hat. hat. So that's kind of his—I think his philosophy in general is that he he plays everything very cool. He doesn't mm-hmm. go about. You know, letting his emotions out. He, even the scene, like I said, where he jumps out the window to go after Bernie. Like, he could have attacked Bernie in the room right there, but instead he waits for him to leave. As soon as the door is shut, he jumps out of the chair, runs out. So he's a very emotional, passionate person, but doesn't show any of it. You and don't I, see any You of could it. also argue that the hat metaphor is, like, his whole, um, his whole journey to, yeah. to Verna, because the whole movie, he's kind of chasing after I, her in a way, I, and there's something foolish about that. And uh, you, could, you could argue that they're, they're synonymous. Um, I also think that the ending is very interesting because, you know, the movie ends where he doesn't get the girl. He's, yeah. he, he refuses to go back to work for uh, Leo's character, uh, yeah. Albert Finney's character. Um, and he's basically, the, the end of the movie is not our hero walking off into the sunset. It's watching other people walk, walk off, off into the, the sunset. sunset. Again, yeah. brilliant. Mm-hmm. But... Um, he did. Leo doesn't get it at the end. He doesn't understand that he went through hell basically to for this woman that he supposedly loves, and also to get back into Leo's. Leo almost it almost doesn't affect Leo, and I think that's why he doesn't want to go back with Leo. He's like, you don't understand well, I don't think the weight would. of anything. I, I don't think he would necessarily understand. I think a lot of this stuff happened almost behind the scenes, and I think he. Leo is like, oh hey, you know, look, things turned out okay. Yeah, you know, but he's, he's come so, back. I miss you. He's like, I'm, he's like so capricious about it. He's like, yeah, that all turned out pretty good. But I don't, I don't. Again, I don't think he understood everything that was happening behind because I think Tom was so good at it. You don't know all the things he's doing, and I think the reason why he says no is just because well, Verna asked him to marry her, which I think to that was a stab directly at, at Tom. Absolutely. I think she did it just to, just to say, you know, like 
Well, her brother's dead, so... Right. Well, right, exactly, exactly. But now, again, I wonder, do you think she knows that he killed him? Because it looks like, as far as anyone else can tell, that it was a shootout between him and... Uh, right, I don't. I doubt that she does. I mean... I think she suspects, but mm-hmm. might I agree. Not, you know, I don't think she knows he definitively. Yeah, he didn't yeah. protect him enough to, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, uh, do you want to start talking? Do you want? Is it too early to go into symbolism, or do you want to start going talking about scenes that you let's, really like? Let's, let's jump talk into about it because I think it's going to unlock sure. a lot of the rest of the, the movie. Okay, so that do, was you something... wanna, do you want to start that off, Mike? Yeah, <laughs> this is like your this is your guys. Real I want to talk about hats today. Guys. <laughs> yeah, but well, that was the first image I read. That, You're going to give that me was the their high first hat image, right? The high yeah, hat, the high hat, um, which apparently I guess is like. You're, um, it's like you're, you're patronizing me. Like, are you right, patronizing right, right. Yeah, me? Yeah, you're, you're, giving me the, you're giving me the hi hat? Yeah, which I just Brilliant. love. And I don't know if they invented the way, it or not, the, way, the way that John Polito says it he's is great. amazing. He's like, great. And he, is, he is like a ball of, of, of manic energy and sweat. Yeah, yeah he's fantastic. Just, yeah. And it's funny, when, when, the, when the movie when it starts out, I'm like, oh, God, I hate this guy. And as the movie mm. goes on, I'm like, I love this guy. Uh, he has hilarious. most of the best lines of the movie, honestly. Yeah. I like. I love how they keep on referring to Jews as shmatas, like throughout the entire movie, right. which is in Yiddish means like a, a dirty, <laughs> dirty rag, rag or yeah. something like that. <laughs> yeah. And then they're like, you know, the shmata. Like they just use it like it's casually. Shmata. They, they yeah, never and, say and what's the rumpus? Yeah, like I just. I don't know, they, the way they casually include language in their own unique spin on it, uh, because noir is always known for. Um, a very stylized dialogue, but yeah, they've, they've yeah. added a Cohen-y twist to it, which I think is interesting. But I'm sorry. To yeah, the, yeah. Right, right. the hat. The hat, yeah. Um, I, to be honest, I'm actually not, I'm not convinced on any one, like, I, and that's why I want to talk to you guys I don't about think there is think. one meaning for it. That's the I, thing. I, was kind of, I think the closest thing I can get out of it is I think the hat almost symbolizes control or like a control of the situation, of yourself, of your emotions. Almost like when you think about someone says you blow your top, you, you, know, you, you lose your lid or whatever. It's a way of like keeping things composed, which is basically the, the whole the the mo of, of Tom. Right, he's right. very composed, and I think every time he loses control of a situation, he loses his hat. Mm-hmm. So like in the beginning, he gets drunk, passes out, uh, spends mm-hmm. loses a hat. ton of money, and he and he has to get his hat back from Verna, who has it. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of situations where he loses the hat, and anytime he's in a bad spot, mm-hmm. and other people like um, uh, there's another one of the other significant points. There's the he goes to visit the guy. I guess he's a boxer. Mm-hmm. And he, he the hat doesn't fit. The hat doesn't it's fit Bernie's him. hat, right? It's someone else's. So it's almost like a bad cover up. Like it wasn't like he. That was kind of what what gave the, <laughs> um, you know. And then, then later on, at the very very end, when Casper's dead on the stairwell, his hat's sitting right in like a pool of light on the stairs. Like you know, kind of like a, he's lost control of his situation. And he's done. Um, and the fact of like yeah, him chasing after the hat, like you just said again, like he he doesn't chase after his hat. He doesn't try to like scramble for. Comp- plays it cool. He thinks he's got it. You know. Uh, it also could be a, a symbolism for masculinity, like one yeah, idea that control, a man, masculinity. Yeah, a man yeah. is only as long as he's got his hat. Like again, it's very, it's almost effeminate for a man to chase after his hat daintily as he's yeah. swinging. Like there's something pathetic about that. But yet he also cares a lot about it. He asks the guy, the, bar, the bartender, when he wakes up in his place, like, "Where's my hat?" So he cares about his hat. He's always going after it. As much as he says he doesn't chase after it, he kind of does. It's just in his own way. He's not openly, overtly going after it. Oh, that's interesting. Mm. What do you think, Dave? Anything to add about the hat discussion? Uh, about the hat. Discussion. I mean, I was just thinking that uh, there, there's the scene that we were talking about in the woods where Gabriel Byrne is supposed to um, kill John Turturro. John Turturro is is, is basically someone that, that that Leo's rival wants to knock off, but he's the brother of, of Marsha Gay Harden. 
uh, who uh, is who Leo's dating, and you know, we're getting into the plot, which is complicated. Uh, but in that scene, you definitely have the guy with the hat and the trench coat, and he's very in, in control and power. And you have John Turturro, who's like just in like suspenders and a white shirt and no hat, and he's on his knees and he's begging for his life. Look into so, your heart. Yeah, yeah. Look into which your heart. Look I think your heart. That, I think he's amazing. In that he scene. is incredible. Mm-hmm. I actually, can I real quick side note? Sure. Like I, I've been familiar with John Turturro. I saw Barton Fink. Right. Yeah. He's good. I didn't realize how good he was until after this. I saw this movie. I'm like, he's he's a genius. That scene. And then I immediately watched Do the Right Thing because I knew he was in it. And I oh wanted yeah. To see what he well, was. he's very different. I mean, that's it's yeah. a, And Do the Right Thing. He's this tough Italian Brooklyn gangster yeah. guy. In this yeah. movie, he's like kind of a Weasley, you know, bookie. Weasley bookie, right? Yeah. And um, and you know, and, he, and he's gay, and he's you know, very. Wait, he's uh, gay. What? I didn't get that at all. Sorry. Oh, Explain. I'm sorry. So you you were is, is that is that the Steve Buscemi character? Him and the Steve Buscemi. Him and Steve Buscemi, and, and yes, and um, interesting. But he kills Steve Buscemi's well, character, correct? There's we, that would be. There's definitely a wait lot, a minute. There's some. There's some. I think you've uncovered not, another wrinkle. I, I thought you. Got, I thought you were being sar- sarcastic. <laughs> no, I'm serious. No, no, I did no. not know. No, it, well, they make it pretty clear. I think at least on some. She does viewings, say he's different. I don't know. Right. I don't know what you they, meant they by never that, say. Like, they never say gay or queer. So it's not like sexual. Okay. They say it's not like outspoken. Okay. You know they. You know, they they refer to them. I forget, I forget exactly the words they use, but they they never quite say that. They just say, I mean, you, that uh, there's this. They imply that, that there's a relationship between uh, John Turturro and Steve Buscemi's character. Um, of, of course, things don't end well for Steve Buscemi. Well, it doesn't end well for John anyway. Turturro either. But but uh, and also uh, Casper, the gangster's um, uh, henchman, is also uh, gay. The Dane. The Dane. The Dane is also gay. In fact, he's played by an actor who's uh, who's a poet, and um, uh, he's he's still alive. He's still he's 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 gay also. Wait a minute. um, How 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 is he gay in the movie? He's um, well. I mean, okay. So not to make this all about sexuality, but I mean, there's there's a reason. I think there's a reason that. that well, I guess this isn't about symbolism. We're just reading into the subtext instead of symbolism of the, of the movie. Right, right. But um, there's there's a reason I think that the Dane gets so passionate and worked up about about uh, Gabriel Byrne and his you know and um, I feel like there's jealousy going on between the Dane and, and Bernie and maybe. Uh, I don't know whose phone that was. <laughs> Sorry if it was mine. The Dane and Bernie and C.B. Shemmy's character, whose name I can't remember. Mink. Um, the Mink. Mink, Mink yeah. right. I feel like there's maybe a little bit of a love triangle something going on Really? There. Okay. Yeah. Okay, wait, wait. All right. And so I, and I wish your I sources, I, I, facts. I wish I had written more about it. But, yeah, um, because I don't think this is very – this is definitely subtext because is, it is not um, – hold on. Whoa. Okay. According to the <laughs> I internet, just went online and looked it up, man. <laughs> According to the internet, mm-hmm. the homosexual love triangle between the hitman oh, Eddie Dane, right. Stooge Mink, and Bookie Bernie is the Coen <laughs> Brothers film is subtle but present. Ah, the main wow. character Tom tells Mink, if Eddie Dane finds out that you got another amigo, well, I don't peg amigo, him for, that's the, the, word I was for the understanding for. Yes. type. The right-hand man to... Wait, the right-hand man to crime boss Johnny Casper, Eddie Dane, seems to really enjoy his job killing people. Played by perennial tough guy actor J.E. Freeman, he coolly tells one of his victims, because if you told me and I killed you and you were lying, I wouldn't get to kill you then, which is a great line. Right. Oh, yeah, my God. Yeah, yeah. So it is, it's definitely subtle, though. Yeah, right. Okay. No, it's definitely not the service. It's not, the, see, it's I, not the theme of the movie. I think the theme of the movie is, is about... Uh, it is true, though, yeah, that there's like a little bit of a... It's just kind of a subtext. I see. I never... That's the only line we're going on? Because for me, that sounds like it could just be like another well, one I mean, of your... Again, go one back. Of your bro- one of you, like a compadre. I didn't uh, go back and, and rewatch it because there's a reason that uh, I think there's more. There's a, a reason that Casper feels this kind of 
extreme animosity towards uh, uh, John Turturro's character. I don't. I guess it was a a, a deal gone wrong. I mean, I can't remember exactly what happened, but I feel like he was, thought he fixed a fight, right. and then John Turturro, I guess, made sure that the fight was fixed the other way. So oh, he right, thought he was right. betting on a sure fix, right. but he, again, brilliant. Right. But. Uh, Right, um, but yeah, but no. His sister does say something like, yeah, "People hate him just because he's different." And mm-hmm. I don't know. I thought she meant like he's just a little weird because he's weird. Like he, he has, is so he's weird. creepy and weird. That's interesting. I, mm-hmm. I'd like to go back and watch this second. Again, time. this is where I think the movie like pays mm-hmm. dividends because they're talking so fast at the beginning. First ten minutes, yes. I had trouble yes. focusing. Yeah, like, are. I'm glad to hear that. Like, I I was just, but that's I was, a classic noir thing. It's, I mean, that, you know, they're in there, so they're kind of satirizing it and also embracing it, like they always, like they do in a lot of their movies where. You know, the, they make up the dialogue a little bit, but they, they also have, you know, it feels like if it were black and white, right, it might feel like it was straight out of uh, mm-hmm. uh, the 30s or 40s, you know? Yeah, so, I mean, I kind of want to go back because, again, like, I was concentrating so hard just to make sure I understood what everyone was saying. <laughs> yeah, the plot's with. really nuanced, too. It's twisting the, and turning. The plot and is like, nuanced, yeah. but I would argue that the plot isn't, like, I hate to say this, I don't think it's that important. Like, I think that the character motivations in each scene are important, and as long as you stay with that, you'll be okay. I mean, it all does end up coming together. It's not like the plot mm. doesn't work. Like, mm. Because, you know, as soon as they, you know, he pretends to shoot John Tutero's character, I'm like, that's stupid. Why didn't they look for the body or whatever? And then, of course, that comes back where they're like, we're going to go try to find yeah. the body of the guy. And again, Great amazing. Scene. Because, Great scene. because they're dupl- the shots are duplicated. They have the overhead dolly shot of going, mm-hmm. walking through the trees, which is also at the mm-hmm. very beginning of the movie when they're doing the credits. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it's the walk down you Miller's Cross. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, looking yeah. Up. Um, so uh, you know they repeat that and Tom can't have it like going back to your earlier point about does Tom have it all figured out he can't mm-hmm. because he is so panicked in that moment mm-hmm. yeah, he's he, like I'm gonna die yeah, this right. is like he's, he's, he's so scared he vomits it's all, he, it's all repressed yeah so yeah. Uh, I, I would argue suppressed, that suppressed. he does I think he makes the best of situations yes, at the time I don't think he's... but there is no overarching like oh it was all from the beginning like mm-hmm. I hate that in movies where mm-hmm. they're like this ridiculous scheme was all planned out yeah, from the yeah, get-go. No, he's and, figuring it out as he goes along, and he plays, just like Totoro says, like, oh, you look at this angle you gave me. It depends mm-hmm. on the angles he's given and the plays he's given to try to, like, shift things. And But he still probably had some sort of end goal, right? He's I mean, smart enough, I think, right. that he can take I, advantage of I situations. I would say the, the only major plan was and when he's in his apartment and he's sweating, and he's, like, wringing out all the sweat he's got, he's, like, sick or whatever, and he's on the phone. I think when he sets up that final meet at, like, 4 o'clock. That's all That's planned. the only thing yeah. I think he, for, right. like, really builds an intricate plot and plan for I think up to that point he's kind of adapting as he goes right so, and I think you saying that actually makes me think well what what is this movie really about and I think maybe it's about how we adapt to survive maybe you know if there's a, there's a theme I think it's probably about probably a, it's about gangster I would say it's about a movie about movies in some way in a lot of ways and I will also say that if there's a theme to the movie it's about adapting to survive because that's what uh, everybody seems to be trying to do in, in this Mike world. does not yeah. like that theme Mike no, no I, I, theme? I do <laughs> I, I mean, it, it's, it, it is a theme it's there I would say I would say it all has to do with I don't know something I'd say maybe composure or surfaces or something about how why is cracking on the surface but not always necessarily being as cool as he seems he's, right. he's there's a line he know. says where he says uh, nobody knows anybody not that not well, that well. Yeah, right. yeah, he yeah, says yeah. it multiple he times, it multiple yeah. times. Yeah. again brilliant line like I, I as someone who likes words like I just yeah, enjoy like words it's really well written like he they've they've figured out a way to say things not that it's obtuse but they're never on the nose and they just there's a lot of meaning packed in all those phrases like I, I like the uh, I'm not the kind of person that says I told you so and I I, I never say I told you so, so I don't like people who, who do say that and at the end he's, he's like, like told, told you so, so. Yeah. <laughs> you, you you got a mouth on, on you. Yeah, oh, this is <laughs> and a, his face is perfect in that moment. He looks like he's like half not sure if he should be angry or 
Yeah, eh, you got a mouth on you. And, yeah. and just like the little subtle humorous you touches. boys. Subtle humorous <laughs> touches. When the, the guy uh, who's tailing Verna shows up dead, the scene opens with a kid gawking at it mm-hmm. and taking, <laughs> his, takes tup- his, taking right. his toupee, which is hilarious. I feel like he's one in a, minute, in a, in a long line of, of Coen Brothers movies where they have a kid like just kind of blankly staring at something. And it, it, you know, and I can't remember <laughs> that exactly. That could be a, we should, they, we should do a super cut, like mashup of shots <laughs> of Coen Brothers children looking at staring things at and things. That yeah. may, that, I'm going to get huge on the internet with that one. Write that idea down. <laughs> uh, what did you guys think about the score of the movie? Uh, oh, Carter Burwell. Brilliant. Great score. Very romantic. Now, what has Carter Burwell done? That name sounds so familiar. Do you know? I should look this uh, I have the internet. Well, I should yeah, look this yes, up. Yes. Well, Carter Burwell, he's worked with the Coen brothers on almost every movie so he's, they've oh, done. So he's their guy. On okay. almost every movie they've done, except for uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, I think. And probably uh, Raising Arizona was Pete Seeger. So. What about Intolerable Cruelty? The, Intol- the, the well, one that should not be maybe, named. Maybe. I mean, I haven't seen that one. And, you know, <laughs> Good that, That's one of the ones I haven't seen. That, the Intolerable Cruelty and um, Lady... Killers, I think, I think, is the one I haven't seen. You know what? I've, I um, think I've seen them all except for Lewin Davis. But hasn't Carter Burwell mm. also... Didn't he also do Requiem for a Dream also? No, no, um, no, no. That's Clint Mansell. Clint Mansell. Yeah. I'm sorry. You mean the mo- the music that's in every trailer? Yes. Right now? <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah, so what else has Carter Burwell done now that you're... All the Coen Brothers movies. Okay. Uh, Buffy Vampire Slayer, Doc Hollywood... Oh, Doc Hollywood. The classic <laughs> the classic Wayne's World 2, which you may have to talk about in this podcast. One of my favorite movies of all time. Um... Huh. It could happen to you. He's in a lot of movies. Jeez, okay. uh, he's in some bad movies. Joe's apartment. That's the one with the roaches that infest uh, that guy's mm-hmm. apartment. Um, that talk. Mm-hmm. Being John Malkovich. Mm-hmm. Three Kings. Um, yeah. So has he done all of Spike Jones's movies? No, no, because he didn't do her was the re- okay. her was Arcade Fire, if I'm not mistaken. Really? Huh. Yeah, they did the uh, score for that, I believe. Oh um, man, I, th- I thought it was Karen O. That maybe it was songs by Karen O. We're getting off track. Yeah, here. we are anyway, really. Yeah, getting so off. Carter Burwell. Yeah, yeah, he's done. He's done. We're in a cyclone of the internet. He does a lot of score. I mean, his scores sound very romantic, very kind of these uh, uh, big swells. Um, you know, it is. And, and there's it, like, a, but in this movie, there's a little bit of an Irish kind of uh, flavor to it, which yeah. makes sense mm-hmm. because it's about Irish gangsters versus Italian gangsters yeah, and, I, and Jewish gangsters and Jewish. The gangsters, three major yes. races yeah. of like every yeah. major city in the right. Time but it definitely, definitely. I mean, there's definitely an Irish feel to this. The yeah. colors in this are. You know, like I think of the forest and the greens and the cherry wood and um, um, and then just the sound of the movie. Just it, to me, it feels Irish. I like yeah. how classic the score sounds because I think they're paying in a way they're paying, like you said, in a way they're paying homage to classic movies, but they're mm-hmm. also kind of making fun of them in a way. And I don't want to say making fun of like as a bad thing, but they're also like winking at the fact that this is supposed to be a classically sounding movie. So right. it opens with this, like you said, swelling strings. Mm-hmm. And it's not like an anti-score, like mm-hmm. a, a movie that was really trying to play like against convention would have done something totally out of left field, but they don't. Right. It's very traditional, which is right. really interesting. It's also, it's quite beautiful, actually. And then, of course, the use of music during the Danny Boy uh, shootout scene with Leo <laughs> is <laughs> awesome. Because right. that and song... it's timed perfectly, that, that sequence. Yeah. Like, I don't even know how they filmed it with and I guess it's just great editing that they figured out a way to, that the 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 music swells and the chorus of Danny Boy swells as as it move, as that song gets more romantic and mm-hmm. more um you know sorrowful it gets more intense Violent, and more yeah. bloody and yeah. more right. like and that's right. just freaking brilliant. And, and by the way, that's a great scene for for Albert Finney's character uh, mm-hmm. for Leo because I think at that point I'm like, oh, here he goes. He's he's done for now. This right. old man, he's washed up. He doesn't mm-hmm. know what's going on. And then he just goes nuts. And right. and they even say afterward, I think that that line where. He, He's still an artist with the Thompson. And you're like, yeah, it's yeah, almost it like it's taking that scene from The Godfather and flipping it, 
flipping it on its head, where Marlon yeah. Brando's Godfather uh, boss gets kind of attacked, and and you know it's in a market, but he gets gunned down, and you know, oranges fall, and the oranges are symbolic for whatever for every every you know death, and you know if you put you drop oranges on the floor now, people immediately associate that with death. Oh, really? Yeah. Because, the because Breaking yeah, Bad did it. He, he, yeah, he, yeah. Falls on the, he falls on the ground, and oranges is laying on top whatever. of his head. Yeah. So in this movie, it, instead, it, instead of the uh, I haven't seen the Godfather while he's chasing his granddaughter in that scene or something like that. In, in the in the Godfather part one. Part one. No, he's just out with Fredo, I think, and he gets shot. He gets shot. Oh. A gangland hit. So in this movie, it's time. a gangland hit. But instead of uh, him just getting shot, you know, he jumps out a window. He he like you know he repels he, out of a window. <laughs> <That's> fantastic. <laughs> you know, he, he does things that a man. I'm assuming he's in his fifties. Probably shouldn't be able to do. Uh, but he's also, like you said, an artist with the, uh, mm-hmm. the and it makes you a little bit of respect for him. Because in the beginning, he seems mm-hmm. so clueless as to what's mm-hmm. going on with him and with yeah. Verna mm-hmm. and. And you're like, all right, I see how this guy got to the top. He knows right. what he's doing. Yeah. Like, yeah. And then it's interesting. I don't know if you noticed this. He kind of disappears in the movie. Yeah. Like he goes away completely for right. almost till the end. Right. Well, mostly follows Gabriel Byrne's character. This, this is really. It's not really the story of Albert Finney's character. It's really the story of this guy who's a right hand man to one gangster, is in love with his, you know, the mistress, and then you know does what he has to do to survive to play two sides against each other and, and try uh, to get what he wants. It, it, it begins with him and it ends with him for the most part. Um, so it's really about Gabriel Byrne, and we can we should probably talk about him. I mean, this was you know this was kind of his movie, his breakout role. In the what United else States. is he known for? And then he was, and then he uh, became Usual Suspects. Usual Suspects. I think that was his second God, big role. Right. And I would take this over the Usual Suspects. I've never I, been a huge fan of the Usual Suspects. We may have to rewatch oh, that. Ooh, so, that's another. I, mean, good I know, one. It, yeah. and that's a little bit of because a I don't blasphemy. Think, and, see, I don't think the Usual Suspects holds up as well as when I first saw it. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think I like time hasn't been kind to the Usual Suspects. Right. But I, I, again, I have to rewatch it. All right, I have to rewatch it too. I've seen it. I've actually seen that one, guys. I've yeah. Seen well, okay. Well, we'll put that on the queue. That'll be in the queue for next time. Yeah, yeah. This was a this was a big start for him. Gabriel Byrne was that was like ninety five or ninety six. So it was a few years after wow, this movie. Wow, he got that one, 95. 95, right. okay, sorry. Yeah. Well, I mean, All right, let's, let's play Quiz Dave about <laughs> when he scary. did the movie. That's scary, man. What year was, <laughs> well, what year was Assault on Precinct 13? He was in that movie, apparently. Uh, which, he's had a which long, version? The oh, my God, all right, all right. <laughs> I don't know, actually. That's I mean, it was podcast. probably three, four years ago, I guess. Uh, <laughs> in the, in the, Wait the, a minute. <laughs> the 2005. Uh, <laughs> well, that can be, a, uh, that can be like a, an alternate, it can be the extra podcast we have. It's like Quiz Dave on when movies came out. I used to have, used to have all the Oscars memorized back, uh, back when I was like, It would only be entertaining for us. <laughs> it would be amazing. Just to see how well we can actually This is probably on. the most uh, side-noted uh, episode we've had. We, oh, I've been trying going, to keep it on track, too. This is my going off track. <laughs> I've been trying really hard. So let's get back on track. Uh, well, okay, let's go to the point of what this podcast is about. Is this a classic? Is it worthy of a review? I mean, I think I've already made it clear. I think this, I think this movie they should show in film schools. Like, I think this is yeah. a... a if you want to talk about construction, I think this is the movie that you show people. I'm not mm. going to argue that this movie will work for everyone. I think that it can be. I think it could be hard for people to get into. I think yeah. there's a there's a pacing. I don't think it's. I think it's paced brilliantly, but at the same time, it's like you have to be invested and you've got to really want a movie like this. This is not capricious. We're going to watch a gangster action movie. Movie like it's not like that at all. Um, but yeah. I, I'm so glad I rewatched this movie because my opinion of it has skyrocketed. I, I, I used to think this is lesser Coen brothers. I, I really did. And then rewatching it, I think this may be their best movie. Hmm. I, I, wow. Yeah, so. Well, I think you said best movie of all time. Yeah, see, so, I don't know if I, I call it the, the best uh, movie, but I would say that this was my favorite of theirs. I don't mean it, I would. Yeah. I would, let's say I'm making a list of a hundred top hundred movies. This would be on there. How about that? Oh yeah, there you go. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I, it's funny. I, mean, I would definitely. I think this is a good. It is a good. Is a classic. I think I would. 
You should show it probably rewatch it though. I mean, give yeah, yourself yeah, like yeah. two years <laughs> yeah, and yeah. settle in for the re-review podcast. <laughs> if we're still doing, we're still doing it. We start reviewing re movies we've yeah, already yeah. reviewed on the podcast. Um, I mean, it was good. I, I, I did like it. Um, again, I, I don't think it had the same like gravity that I thought um, Road to Perdition did. But I enjoyed it. I, I thought, like I said, it didn't have a, a tremendous, for me, a tremendous amount so you're, of depth. So you would choose Perdition over Miller's Crossing? I think, for different reasons, but I, I would think so. I, I, I felt like I got more out of that emotional. I mean, it was a more of an emotional movie for me. This one wasn't as much, and well, I, I tend to be swayed by emotion. If I'm going to like run into somebody on the street, I would suggest that they would watch Road to Perdition over this movie. As someone who loves movies... This is like if you're a movie guy, mm-hmm. this is this is it like right. for me. But I can totally understand how this doesn't jive. Like, yeah. I, but it's right. good. I mean, it's, it's a little hard to follow. For most, I would say you know the dialogue and the plot. I mean, it's definitely not an, an easy movie to follow. And if you watch it, you know, a few times, then you start you, you start to pick up on like uh, like like I was saying the, the this love triangle that's just yeah, kind of the, hidden the, in, in yeah, the movie. Subtleties, yeah. And, and, yeah, and apparently that things. was totally totally <laughs> over my head. Yeah. Totally didn't even I pick like, up on I, that. I felt like a lot of like you said it isn't the easiest to follow. I felt like I was constantly trying to like catch. Up, like, all right, wait, wait, wait. So they did that, and I, okay, got it. Moving on, you know. I'm curious what you guys think about. Um, there's there's a line in the movie at the end where uh, you know the movie ends with Gabriel Byrne confronting John Turturro at this kind of the the uh, oh. the end point yeah, of yeah, his yeah. his his game his game plan, whatever you want to call it. And uh, you know, John Turturro thinks they're in on it together. He's right, like, right. he's like, okay, you take the money, and I'll do this, and I'll do that. And then Gabriel Byrne's like, well. You can't live through this, <laughs> and, yeah. you know. Essentially, that's what he's saying, mm-hmm. and, and you know he does. And then John Turturro repeats the same kind of begging thing, which and I think look the first, into your heart, look into your heart, I'm and he's on his knees and he's backing up. But I love how quickly he transitions from right. like I'm cool, I'm in yeah, control, yeah. to right. total like he's so manipulative which, as a character, I, right, exactly. which is amazing. I think the first time you see it, it seems very genuine. It you seems feel totally bad. genuine, and probably like, is genuine in that first. Well, I don't know. Maybe. I think he's just really good mm-hmm. at. Like surviving, I, he's good at surviving. <laughs> yeah. Going into your, you made the point about survival. Yeah. Dave made the point what about survival, survive, and that's that's how John Turturro survives. Mm-hmm. He'll play emotions and he'll you know he'll suck mm-hmm. off people's emotions to mm-hmm. survive, and that's just interesting to right. me. And Gabriel Byrne shoots him in the head, and, and uh, he, you know he and says, "Look first, into your heart." And Gabriel Byrne says, "What heart?" And it made me made me think. You know, I think in previous in, in the past when I've seen this movie, I'm thinking, "Yeah, John Turturro or uh, Gabriel Byrne." He's a guy who's just heartless, you know, and that's what we're going to learn from this movie. But I think no. this time when I was watching it, this isn't a guy without a heart. I mean, he's saying that because you know he's just he's he's kind of had it with John Turturro. But I think this guy is a guy with actually with a big heart. Yeah, actually, he just it's all repressed. You know, it isn't doesn't Verna say something about like oh you don't have a heart or you're heartless? She says something along the same lines. Tom's ca- Gabriel Byrne's yeah, character. Yeah, and he I think he almost repeats that in a way. He's like yeah you're right I don't know like you know. But yeah, I think if he did, if he didn't have a heart, he would have let he would have killed him in the forest. So, right. no so technical question. Um, this is probably a semantical. This is a plot question. So why does he need to kill Bernie? Because Casper's dead at this point, and all of Casper's pretty much wiped out. So Leo's I, regained the throne. So why does he need to kill Bernie? Especially I, well, I mean, if he wants to control. It's a self. It's a self mm-hmm. preservation thing. I mean, he doesn't want. I mean, he doesn't want Bernie uh, doing anything that might. I mean, he almost got killed because of Bernie. Exactly. I, mean, I was just going to say, I think he, he didn't want to make the same mistake twice. He right. let him go the first time, and when he came back, it's like, you son of a bitch. I let right. you go with your life, and right. this is how you're repaying me. Also, so I think the it was first almost... time in the movie, Tom actually fires a gun that kills somebody, or yeah. hurts somebody with a gun, yeah. which mm-hmm. I think is really interesting. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't shoot the gun at all. He shoots right. it twice to fake right. kill Bernie, but he never That's actually... Right. That's right. He's not yeah. meant to be uh, and he's an assassin guy. guy. He's yeah. meant to be the consigliere or whatever, like to the gangster. He's not meant to be... Yeah, and interesting. I think he grabbed the gun and ran out after Bernie when he shows up in his apartment right. for the second time mm-hmm. and I think he was planning on killing him then and he missed the opportunity and I felt like at that point now I can't do it point blank I kind of have to kind of go around to, right. to get it but I think he would have done it there if he had the opportunity right um, I went real quick 
I love the scene where he's on the phone and Bernie shows up in his apartment the first time and he's on the phone. He looks at Bernie and he hands up the phone and he's like, and, and he just then he just talks to him and all of a sudden, oh, this guy's been in the room the whole time. And like, what a great character reveal <laughs> yeah. too. Like, yeah, that was well done. And uh, another Coen Brothers trope: um, large fat men screaming in movies. Yes, yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> oh. Someone I think did a supercut of, oh, there <laughs> of, of, of screaming people in oh, Coen Brothers movies. Damn it, I missed that one. And, and, so, and uh, so it mostly happens in places you wouldn't expect. Like, so why does to, that guy? Need so to I need to find young precocious children staring at things in yes. Coen Brothers movies. That's, <laughs> yes. Okay, that you do it before our, our audience does it because yes. shoot, it's already too late. It's already been. You know what? It's already on the internet. We've just missed it. Uh, <laughs> so. The only the only thing I can the only other scene. Uh, this is another side note. I can think there's in the Hudsucker Proxy, which is another one of my Coen Brothers movies, which I I love and and I don't know that enough people have actually seen that. I, I've seen that. Sam Raimi um, helped with that movie, I believe. Sam Raimi and Sam Raimi actually pops up in this movie as a oh yeah, uh, yeah. gunman. Snickering gunman. Yeah. Gun, yeah. Uh, <laughs> he gets you know shortly thereafter he gets mowed down by in a hail of bullets, which is of course is perfect. But I think the Coen Brothers actually start out working with Sam Raimi, which they've always kind of had this relationship, um, you know, working relationship. Where they, I don't think they've actually made a movie together, obviously, but. Um, They've consulted on a lot of movies, I think. Um, getting off track. Yeah. Let's, 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 let's wind this baby down. Let's start putting this, yeah, this sucker to bed. Um, so, yeah, I think this is definitely worth a review. I'm really glad that I had an excuse to do this podcast so I could rewatch it because, like I said, my opinion has changed greatly. And I'm, I think, Mike, I think you, the more you watch Coen Brothers movies, I think you're going to get more out of them. Yes. Um, that's something I feel like they... These are not yeah. disposable movies that you watch once. And be like, that was a great movie. But, like, it's not like that because I didn't feel that way at all. I felt the exact same way you did when I first watched it. Mm. So... Um, I totally and obviously Dave knows everything about movies so he loved it uh, so closing out this uh, podcast uh, just if you want to get in touch with us you can visit us on the web at reviewedpodcast.com um, gentlemen why don't you share your Twitter information yeah, so yeah, you can get in I'm touch uh, with them at Mike Mirandi very original uh, on Twitter it's M-I-K-E-M-I-R-A-N-D-I and what about your uh, website the website is MikeMirandi.com surprisingly <laughs> enough <laughs> and you can find me at DaveGlanzProductions.com that's my portfolio and uh, you can see keep me keep it on, down you Mike can, <laughs> and you can find me on Twitter at Dave Glanz, D A V E G L A N Z. That's not Dave Gland. Man, not Dave Gland. No, no, no. I'm not a body part. Um, I'm Glanz. at Ivan Kander on Twitter. I write for a website called shortoftheweek.com, which highlights the best short films on the internet. And uh, you can film my website at lucky9studios.com. We need to get an email address together. I still haven't done that. So we've, um, you can start sending us recommendations. You can also like us on Facebook. I want to remember that. So if you have suggestions of movies you want us to watch, like us on Facebook, post about it, and we'll try to cover it. I think next week, uh, after much convincing, I'm trying to do something a little lighter uh, because Mike was not happy with it, but I've never seen uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit ever. It's another gangster movie. No, no, no. Oh, that's brilliant. (laughs) It's perfect. It's a a light. Is it really a gangster movie? Yeah, there is a gangster movie flavor to it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that may be your next film. Um, Takes place and then, in the 30s again. I think again. one uh, I've actually already seen. So. <laughs> so which is a little, well, I've never seen it, oh, so perfect. it works out it's well perfect. for me. Yeah. So um, I don't know how I missed that as a child. I think I was depraved. Well, because it's not for children. That's why, <laughs> well, probably. We'll get, yeah. get depraved into- or deprived. <laughs> Both. Both. <laughs> Both. I had a very messed up childhood. Um, yeah, so that is it for uh, this time, and we will see you uh, next time we record a show. Thanks. See you. Bye. <clears throat> Maybe countdown. <laughs> nah, I got it. <laughs> 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 <laughs>